Welcome to the Sisters of Resistance podcast for the week of June the 7th, 2019. The speakers on this podcast sometimes use bad language, and so listener discretion is advised. And find us on Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and Apple iTunes at Sisters of Resistance, all one word. And then find us on Sisters of Resistance on Facebook and email us at sistersofresistance3 at gmail.com. Happy Friday. I am joined by my sisters, Meg McIntyre Sundin and Franny McIntyre. Good morning, ladies. What's going on? Happy Friday. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Reggie. Um, you know, my state of outrage has been a little bit on lull since yeah. uh, Trump has been committing his outrages abroad. Oh, right. Uh, uh, including Genius. fashion, fashion oh. outrages. I don't know if anybody's noticed the length of his white waistcoat was completely oh, inappropriate. Terrible. Um, and that family portrait um, was just uh, hilarious. But at any rate, uh, so I've been a little bit on, uh, on, on lull, but I've now got myself in a state of high outrage uh, over Bill Barr and, you know, the status of the, of the Mueller investigation and what's happening in Congress. So I'm ready to rock. Sweet, sweet. Meg McIntyre, Sandine, take it. Well, uh, Reggie, uh, I'm, I, I'm glad to be here. I am in a per, per, um, perpetual state of being jazzed up yep. about this administration. Yep. And uh, just just a few minutes of the news sends me to banana land. I mean, <laughs> why why should we pay for his whole extended family whole to go family. over there? And, and again, they're such users, yep. absolutely such users. And in their mind, they think they are the royalty of America. Right. I'm offended that he um, insulted my, uh, my grandmother's country of origin, my Ireland, yep. by not understanding what a terrible thing he brought up when he talked about walls and borders, yep. which is something to any person of Irish descent on either side of the line. I was well aware. Very, very painful. Right. Um, the guy is a moron who, yep. who, who embarrasses me every place he goes. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm ready to go, but I said, I just, I can get so excited. I have to like put a cloth over my cage like you do in the bird because, <laughs> you know, it just, it just is too much. And, and frankly, no one wants to hear it because we're all tired of it, but we yeah. have to pay attention we have to do, each of us has to do something in our little way because this is not normal. They are the crazy ones. We are the sane ones. We cannot let ourselves be made insane by them. It just makes me crazy that we are paying for this whole entire family to go. Yeah. $27,000 a week Jesus. to put them in a hotel. 27 okay. grand a week for adult children. Mm -hmm. And, and how about he now says that these poor children that are unaccompanied or we have torn from their parents, uh, we don't have the money to teach them English and we don't have the money to give them legal representation, you know, but yeah. here he is blowing money out his kazoo right. every weekend when he goes, you know, I mean, no concern for his None. comfort, yeah. but to say we can't teach, we can't provide adequate care to these children who are frankly dying in our yeah. care it's mm -hmm. it's an outrage mm -hmm. yeah i figure it's going to be stephen miller who is 
who was reviewing all of these old rules and regulations from and laws from years past. And he's like, oh, here's one from 1923. We can use this one. And, and, and in, in order to, um, you know, uh, be cruel, be cruel. Yeah. 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 They're jerks. They're just absolute complete jerks. So Meg, we had decided that we were going to start off with you and I want to hear what you got to say about the office of legal counsel opinion from 1973. Oh. So go ahead. Well, Reggie, thank you so much for asking. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's such yeah. a, it's such Isn't a privilege it? to be here. It's, it's it is. so interesting. Well, you know, we have all been hearing constantly for two years now about this OLC opinion that uh, seemed to provide the president with all kinds of immunity. Mm. It was this gigantic shield that prevented us from looking at him, asking him any questions, whatever. I've explained in the past that these OLC opinions are um, very specific advice for a specific situation. They really are not meant to be long-standing policy documents as this one was. It was done in 1973 uh, concerning Nixon. And then uh, in 2000, it was reviewed concerning President Clinton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like to talk a little bit about what it does and does not say. I know you should never start out with a negative, but I have to explain right away that this opinion does not provide some kind of widespread support for presidential immunity. Absolutely not. OLC, that stands for Office of Legal Counsel. They're the geniuses of the uh, Department of Justice. Okay, it, it recognizes several times that the president is not above the law and that the president is ultimately responsible. He's accountable for misconduct before, during, and after his service to the country. The specific question was, can we have a criminal indictment and trial of a sitting president? Well, basically, the general conclusion of the opinion is that the indictment and prosecution of a sitting president would undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions, running the executive branch, implementing all the laws that are passed by Congress. With a criminal prosecution, uh, the trials and the appeals could go on for months or years. And during that time, the executive branch would not be able to function effectively. Mm -hmm. So having the executive branch unable to function effectively for an extended period of time was seen to be a burden that was too costly to justify the benefit of removing the president. The rationale was the president is installed after a national election and he should be removed in a national election rather than a criminal prosecution. Mm. The constitution itself provides the mechanism of impeachment. Mm -hmm. This is under article two, section three, impeachment of the president for treason, bribery, other high crimes or misdemeanors. The memo says, 
The framers themselves specifically determined that the public interest in immediately removing a city, sitting president whose continuation in office poses a threat to the nation's welfare outweighs the public interest in avoiding the burden of this temporarily hobbled executive branch. Okay, so basically the criminal procedure would go on too long. Because of that, we are given the, the Constitution sets out the uh, means of impeachment. And it's so important that it, we, can, we, can take the, we can take the burden of having an executive department that's not functioning fully. Of course, we have to laugh at this argument, considering that 50, over half of the key, uh, key positions, for example, at Department of, of Homeland Security are not filled. Yeah. You know, the executive branch is not working in any effective way anyway. But mm. that was the argument. Now, and the other advantage to impeachment is, it, instead of having just a criminal prosecutor and a handful of jurors determine the fate of the president, under the Constitution, the House would investigate and indict the president, and the Senate would, would be the jurors in a trial. Mm -hmm. The entire country which elected the Congress thus gets to participate by representation in the impeachment. I see. Okay? Now, as a side note, after all this, we have the 25th Amendment, and Franny's explained this mm -hmm. earlier, okay, about removing a president who has some kind of a disability. Okay, so we haven't forgotten about it, but we're not talking about the 25th Amendment at all. Right. Okay, so this came down in 1973, very shortly, a matter of weeks later, Vice President Agnew, who was charged with bribery with a crime, said, uh, "I'll have some. I'll have some of what he's having." <laughs> he decided that he would like to use the presidential immunity, and for the same reasons, uh, to uh, to block this criminal prosecution. At that point, the Solicitor General, who happened to be Robert Bork, you remember that yeah. uh, he's sort of a, a uh, Republican anti-hero, but yeah. he did an analysis and presented it and said specifically that the president is the only person, only person that is protected by this analysis that says that you cannot indict and prosecute a sitting president. Basically, Agnew was on his own and he eventually uh, resigned. But he said, okay, now, now I want to go on a little bit of riff about the most recent memo that I talked about a couple weeks ago that was done by Stephen Engel, E-N-G-E-L, yeah. explaining why John McGahn doesn't have to testify. And I said, oh. it was just a bunch of rhubarb and garbage yeah. Uh, they were constantly switching from uh, what they called executive privilege to immunity. Uh, and anyway, he, here's a sentence from it. Because of the unique duties and demands of the presidency, the president cannot be called upon to answer the demands of another branch of government in the same manner as all other individuals. 
Now this statement's a little bit out of place because basically we were talking about criminal prosecution, but this sentence says that he can't be called upon to answer the demands of another branch of government, which would be like congressional testimony, in the same manner as all other individuals. Well, if we use, we take this opinion and instead of using it as a shield to protect 45, we use it as a sword. What that means is all his little buddies are now subject to answer the demands of another branch of government. That means Congress. Uh -huh. Okay. So William Barr, Mnuchin, Don McGahn, these folks are subject to criminal prosecution because the executive branch could continue very well okay. without any of them. I see. Having them be missing in action, preparing a defense against criminal prosecution would not hold anything up. Mm -hmm. I want to remind that the only grant of immunity in the Constitution, the only, only one, yeah. is for members of Congress when they are in session. And that's mm -hmm. under the speech and debate clause so that someone couldn't just arrest them and prevent their speech or debate about any kind of a topic. Okay, there's nothing in there about presidential immunity. Now, when Engel does this memo, which is just, again, based on air, I'm so disappointed because they didn't even make an effort. Mm -hmm. Really, it's embarrassing. They even, they're so insulting to us. But basically, he was claiming that all these folks shouldn't have to testify because the demands of the president's office require that he rely on senior advisors. Here's his definition, who serve as the president's alter ego, assisting him on a daily basis in the formulation of executive policy, resolution of matters affecting the military, foreign affairs, national security, okay? Seriously? Hope Hicks is his senior advisor. Really? Annie McDonald, mm -hmm. I'm a governor, whatever it is. It's, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, they then go on this tortured argument about just because the president released this information doesn't mean that you can compel testimony. Okay, now the key thing is we're not talking about the president. We're talking about Mo, Larry, and Cheese here. Yeah. Okay. So they make the broad statement. It follows that the, quote, derivative immunity of these senior presidential advisors is not waived either. Again, it's absolutely absurd. And I, I know, Franny, you're going to talk about it, but I just want to introduce one more, one idea that I have. Yeah, go ahead. And it's slightly, slightly other people are talking about it, but I want to explain why it's possible. Um, I am getting very fed up. I have been holding the line against opening an impeachment inquiry. Okay. Yeah. I am now hanging on by my fingernails. Mm. You know, I, I'm about to go over the edge. Uh, I, I don't want to think anymore about 45's quote 37%. I don't care about them anymore. What I don't want to lose is all the Democrats who are frustrated at inaction. Yeah. But in any event, something that could get us going, give us a little taste of blood. Yeah, a little be, blood in the water. <laughs> if we move for the impeachment of William Barr. Yeah. And let me explain. 
every federal officer is amenable to impeachment if they screw up. Mm-hmm. In this case, Barr has been screwing up majorly in public. He has told lies to Congress. He has told lies to the American people. He has an in- intentionally misled the country as to the contents of a very important legal document and then has obstructed access to that document. Okay. It's completely within the power of the House Judiciary Committee to open up an impeachment inquiry on Barr. And what I would like them to do is to say, we're opening an inquiry, and dear Mr. Barr, in the interest of fairness, would you please recuse yourself from having anything to do Mm -hmm. with any issues of obstruction of justice? Let's see what he does then. I understand he does not want to be held in contempt of Congress because he knows how serious it is. Again, in his lizard brain, he understands contempt of Congress is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. But I just want to tell you, in the past, 15 federal judges, including two Supreme Court justices, have been impeached. We also have impeached a cabinet-level officer who is a secretary of war. So basically, Ba, Mnuchin... We can impeach him, we can get it started and knock them out. Now, the advantage, I think, another ancillary advantage would be if we can conflict Barr out, that makes him unable to function as the national security um, declassification expert. (laughs) He is the one we're worried about. Remember, the president has given him power to declassify anything concerning the FBI and the intelligence community's investigation of Russian interference, okay? If we can get him started with impeachment, we can block him from that, from that position. So I just see impeachment of Barr as win, win, win. It throws mud, but what would they do in our case? And right. again, it's mud, but it's deserved mud. He has lied to us in public, looked us in the eye and loved and lied, shown his contempt for Congress and for the rule of law, and it's time for him to go. I, I don't know, Frank, what, what, Reggie, what do, what do you think? Um, well, I know that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Meg, but was not there, uh, was it Swal- Swalwell? Yes, Eric Swalwell has, has, has said that he is in favor, but that's all he has done. He has not explained how it could be done, yeah. or why it should be done. Okay. And I, okay. I, I, I don't think they realize how insubstantial these opinions are. It does not require presidential action to overturn them. And it has no impact on Congress's constitutional mandate, which is to impeach federal offices. Yeah. Well, so I know, think it can't catch fire because he's not explaining why. Well, and, and I like your explanation because it's, it's, you've explained it very clearly. Who is, who, who, you know, it's that it's the president that gets this, this pass, if you will, but the rest of them are all subject to. Right. And I think that, that's, that's kind of the There's nothing derivative. Having. Yeah. There's nothing derivative mm-hmm. to them. And again, if there are political consequences to 
opening an impeachment inquiry of 45. And I have been waiting patiently for Nancy Pelosi, but I, I am getting impatient. There's certainly no political consequences with impeaching Bill Barr. Yeah. Who is going to stand up and defend him? Yeah. Nobody. And, and I think what, what, is it true that once he gets, he's in the thick of things, he has to recuse himself? Is that, is that correct? He absolutely should. And I think that that's the first thing, you know, we could call on, the committee could call on him to resign. Yeah. And, and, and if he will not resign, then to recuse himself from anything to do with the obstruction investigation or the investigation into Russian interference because he has lied to us about both of them. And he has lied to Congress. Correct. So I said, and they can tell him he's got to be hands off and that will also knock him out of his quote, national security responsibilities, which I feel are unconstitutional, but in any event, um, which is solely there to protect uh, 45. And then the, the process would follow in, this, in, the, in the same, same process if it was if it was 45 that was getting impeached, is that right? Correct? We start to investigate, subpoena, yeah. require yeah. the records. And, and the other thing, uh, and I, I, I do want to hear what Frank has to say about this, but I've got one final comment. Yeah. How can they exert any kind of privilege, derivative, yeah. except mm -hmm. to Hope Hicks and oh, yeah. the Annie? Annie Donaldson. If, how can he claim a privilege in their documents? Right. If right. they're his documents, why the heck doesn't he have them? Mm -hmm. Why did Hope Hicks walk out the door there with these go. documents mm -hmm. if they were his? Mm -hmm. Is he going to have her arrested? Again, all these documents possibly should have been saved and should be saved under the law, under the National Records, National Archive Records Act. For However, sure. Yeah. How can he exert a privilege yeah. over something that is not his and is not in his custody, not in his possession? He doesn't even know what they are. Right, right, exactly. Um, and Meg, when you're using that term derivative, that basically what you're saying is it is derivative of the result of their position? Well, what, and, and again, I'm using it, uh, I, this is the term. Yeah, the administration is using. Okay. I am using it derisively because okay. it is just like, what the heck? First of all, there is no immunity in the Constitution. Uh, there may be some limited immu immunity for his very senior advisors when they are talking about national security matters, mm -hmm. not when they're talking about obstruction of justice. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. no immunity mm -hmm. then. Right. No immunity at all. No coverage. But for them just to have this general thing saying the president's important and therefore they have, quote, derivative immunity, it's derivative zero. It's derivative okay. of nothing. Nothing. And they're okay. not fooling us. Right. Right. Well, I would, I would suggest to our listeners then, um, Meg, that they should call their representatives, their congressional representatives, and say, hey, this is, you know, Based on what you have said, this this could be an an actual plan that that they could they could do they could because I like yourself, I'm sick of sitting around twiddling my thumbs waiting for something to happen, and they're doing right. nothing. Let's get some let's get something going. Let's get going. Let's get going. Franny, what are your thoughts on this or whatever you got going on? 
Well, I, I just would, would say that to, in the way I think of it is derivative means derived from. Mm-hmm. So Spiro Agnew thought that he had a free get out of jail pass yeah, because right. Nixon did, deriving yeah. it from Nixon's position as president, he being vice oh, okay. president. Okay. He thought it was derivative. It derived from Got that. it. All That's right. really what it means. It, it sort see. of stands in back of and can replace it. Yeah. Um, but, but as Margaret is saying, these things are not derivative to people down the ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, down the chain of command. Um, let's see, I, Margaret has and, just and got friend, me so wound it, up. It, well, and if it were derivative, for the sake of argument, say that the wonderful legal genius book was wrong, that's about criminal prosecution. That's not about giving some records to Congress. See what oh, I mean? A, they no, played the shell game of mixing all these things up together and then ended up calling it derivative immunity. It's, 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 uh, I, I think we, we want to be mindful and just uh, this may be inside of baseball for listeners, but there is a distinction between the, the privilege that the president has to not be indicted, sort of a presidential immunity, as you've referred to it, Margaret. And there's also the executive privilege, which goes to cover conversations between the president and his closest advisors that they shouldn't be obligated to testify about, just like an attorney-client privilege. Mm-hmm. But that's to be distinguished from the absolute immunity, which is this big protective blanket <laughs> that they're trying to throw over a lot of witnesses. Right. Yeah. And when they talk about absolute immunity, they don't get into those technical questions about exactly what was the, now who was giving the advice, what was their relationship with the president, how high are they on the chain of command because privileges to apply only to, to protect the words only of the senior advisors to the president. And immunity is, a, is, a, is more of a blanket. Um, it has nothing to do with the actual words. What they're saying with the immunity, this absolute immunity, is that the witness has no obligation to show up. Congress can't enforce it, so the witness doesn't have any obligation to show up. So they never get into technical questions and answers because, of course, they've got the empty chair there, as happened with Don mm-hmm. McGeehan. So I, ju- I think that that's kind of a, an important distinction to make as you start looking at these separate witnesses. Um, you, you'll remember that, uh, for example, Barr refused to turn over the subsidiary documents on the Mueller report. He's worried about his own ass at that point, so he asked the president to exert executive privilege over those documents. But with regard to McGeehan, they just threw the absolute immunity top over them. They did not try to claim those executive privilege because they, they couldn't. They didn't have an ability to, to, to articulate reasons why um, that it was, uh, it was private advice, uh, that it hadn't been waived, in other words. Uh, and they, couldn't be, um, they could not say credibly that it didn't have to do with the cover-up of a crime, frankly. So they choose this much easier, much more elastic, um, mm-hmm. uh, knitted blanket, if you will, Mm-hmm. And throw it over Hope Hicks and and uh, and Don Annie McGeehan Donald. and Annie Donaldson. Mm-hmm. So now, just you know, taking off from um, Margaret's comments about the OLC opinion of Stephen Engels, um, it does. It is fully, um, you know, ten or twelve pages where they just go through every uh, situation where the OLC has advised the president to claim immunity and just say, we've always said this, we've always said this, Um, Mm -hmm. except that this whole principle of absolute immunity has no support in the law whatsoever. (laughs) These are just lawyers' opinions. 
It has only gone before a court one time. And that was when Harriet Myers, after she didn't get on the United States Supreme Court, when they pulled her nomination, they brought her in as legal counsel to, um, to George W. And then she was offering opinion with regard to the um, nine, five U.S. attorneys. Congress wanted to hear about that and oppressed the issue, insisting that she appear in the face of a claim of absolute immunity. And there was a judge named uh, Bates, I think it's Robert Bates, um, delivered an opinion saying that this whole uh, notion of absolute immunity just wouldn't fly. Mm. And so she uh, was obligated to appear. It was appealed and there was no further discussion of it. But that judge, um, you know, ruled against the executive branch. And if you take the time to read the Engels' opinion, you'll find in there that they sort of disparage that opinion. They disparage the Bates' opinion. Um, Engel says about the Bates opinion with regard to Harriet Myers that, you know, he, he, that, that Bates didn't really consider the separation of powers argument. They gave short shrift to the separation of powers. It's only a short line in there as well it should be because Judge Bates's opinion was 93 pages. Whoa. 93 pages. You know, a 30-page judge's opinion is a long opinion. Mm -hmm. A 93-page, this guy went over everything exhaustively. Mm. And he ruled against the executive position, OLC, in that matter. But they just, they just dismiss it. You know, the absolute immunity, as Margaret says, depends chiefly on the separation of powers argument. And essentially, what they're saying is that the president can't be vulnerable 24-7 to Congress knocking on the door and saying, come on over and tell us what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because it would really constitute harassment. Now, what's kind of interesting here, and Judge Bates points this out, is that who they rely on for that, you know, opinion over the course of time, was William Rehnquist. Oh, yeah. yeah. William Rehnquist was, you know, back, you know, when the re everybody was young, was a law clerk in the OLC. And mm -hmm. he offered the opinion, he put it just that way. He said that the president couldn't be vulnerable to 24-7, was the way he put it, in just 24-7, 24 hours a day, to getting... Um, uh, subpoenas because, of course, the president and his advisor's obligations uh, are 24-7. So Rehnquist takes that position that says the president cannot be interfered with by Congress. However, that was not Rehnquist's last statement. Uh -huh. <laughs> we will all recall he became the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. Right. Yeah. And guess what? He ruled in the case of Clinton v. Paula Jones, or I should say it the other way around, Jones yeah. v. Clinton. Yeah. And it was Rehnquist that delivered the opinion that the president could indeed find the time in his busy schedule to sit for a deposition. Wow. So he completely reversed himself and said that the president's business would not be interfered with by sitting for a deposition in a civil case. And so Judge Bates rightly calls into question that original opinion that's the basis of this whole claim of absolute immunity. Margaret says it's crap. I say it's eyewash, complete eyewash. <laughs> well, you're such a lady. <laughs> I, just, I, I do want to say that, that, that uh, all of our language was much better before Donald Trump. Um, oh, but yeah. yes. I Mine never said bad words. I hardly ever said bad words. No, I never uh, said them. Uh, but but Rehnquist changed his opinion, and it just goes to show you that if this uh, claim is tested in a courtroom, it's going to fall. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, I, as far as my prediction, they are trying to pull in Annie Donaldson and they're trying to pull in Hope Hicks. Now, Hope Hicks was, in fact, a very high level. She had the, 
had the um, title of assistant to the president. Um, so she comes into the close advisor. Um, she was also paid at the very highest level. So she also, you know, comes in at what are considered to be the senior advisors. Donaldson, however, is an assistant legal counsel um, and is not paid at the highest level. And there's nothing to suggest that she had direct access to the president. Um, but nonetheless, again, they're just, they're just throwing this top over these guys. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that, uh, that these people are both previous employers. Uh, I'm sorry, previous employees. Mm. So they're no longer under the thumb of the executive. Uh, notwithstanding that, the president ordered McGahn not to testify. And I've looked online. I can't see a written order to Hicks and Donaldson not to appear. But it's an open question um, as to what Donaldson will do. I'm sure that Hicks will not appear. It's not a um, it's not a deal breaker for her whether she's held in contempt of court. But Annie Donaldson, who probably has a life, and I don't know where she is right now, but she too hopes to practice law. I'm confident doesn't want to risk her ticket. Probably knows in her heart that she does not qualify for absolute immunity. I think it's an open question whether she'll actually appear to testify. Um, at whatever date that they are obligated. I don't have that um, right at hand. Um, but those are uh, the follow-on comments I'd make to what Margaret had to say. I would absolutely support um, a, a, uh, a petition for the impeachment of William Barr. I am so frosted. Maybe we should start one on, on the Sisters of Resistance Facebook page. <laughs> well, you can do it. Idea, Anybody can Reggie. do it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's I just, a good idea. I, I've, I've just uh, read as much as I could stand before my blood boiled of uh, William Barr's statement in Alaska last Friday mm -hmm. um, and um, the comments he made about Robert Mueller. Um, and, for example, just very quickly, that he believed, he started right off, with, that Mueller could have reached a decision on guilt or innocence. Yeah, what a dick. What an asshole, huh? What a vindictive dick. Whereas, I'll, I'll <laughs> make this quick. Um, Robert Mueller is a prosecutor, a lifelong prosecutor, and, you know, it all depends on your perspective. But from my point of view, I think the guy is a prince of rectitude. I mean, he took an order, he took a vow of holy orders with regard to yeah. uh, honesty and integrity in regard to how to handle this stuff. Yeah. And he believed it was not fair for him to make a claim of guilt on the part of the president if the president could not um, acquit himself in any uh, open courtroom proceedings because he couldn't be indicted so he wouldn't have a chance in an acquittal. But Barr, based on nothing, sitting mm -hmm. in his fleece shirt out yep. there in Alaska in, Alaska. in, front, of a, in yeah. front of a fireplace, simply pronounces that Mueller could have re reached a decision on guilt or innocence. So I say to you, what could Mueller have said? I think the president committed a crime? Right. Of what validity does that have? Who cares what one American citizens' personal opinion is. Mm -hmm. You look for a grand jury to make that determination, and the mm -hmm. grand jury was prevented that by the OLC. So it's really, right. a, it's, it's really a, just a torturing of what the process was. So then, after Mueller has not filled that space, there's a vacuum there that Barr feels compelled to fill. And he says, I felt it was necessary to reach that decision on the guilt or innocence of the president. Based on what? Right. It was not in the order to Mueller. Mueller right. was not obligated to do anything other than investigate. To investigate, right. Under right. Rod and he, did, he didn't even read it, Franny. He didn't even read it. Right, didn't read it. But mm -hmm. he says he thinks that he, and so therefore uh, he would, and Rod Rosenstein would, would, would uh, decide that the, the president had not committed a crime. He absolutely put his thumb on the, on the scale. 
absolutely unfair. And I just will point out that his four-page memo does not include the language that Mueller used. You remember that right. Barr yep. says it does not exonerate, but he left out that language that said, and if the evidence did exonerate, we would so state. Mm-hmm. That was not provided by the attorney general in his, in his um, four-page memo. Misleading. So he has absolutely misled the American people. Um, I could go on, but I won't. Um, I'll just wrap it, Reggie, with I'm very interested in what has happened to uh, Congressman Neal's subpoena on Mnuchin to produce mm. the tax records. Mm. Uh, he, he told us that he was going to, pretty much told us he was not going to go through all the rigmarole of contempt and everything. He was going to directly take the issue to court. Um, it's been, I think, close to a month since we've heard any other word on it, maybe three weeks. And so my assumption is they're going through that process of what they call negotiation and accommodation. Mm-hmm. When everything's working well mm-hmm. and everybody's Yay. committed to the American people. Everyone's psyched. And the preservation of the Constitution. Rah, rah. These branches of government are supposed to work with each other so they don't right. interfere with each other. Right. That's not what's happening here. There's a complete stonewall shutdown on the part of the president. But nonetheless, the Democrats and Congress have got to proceed with white gloves and go through this process so that they, when they get into the courtroom, they can show the judge they've made every effort to reach an agreement and the, and the government's intransigent is basically what they'll say. And the judge will be caused to be very impatient. So, um, so that's and kind Franny, of uh, Franny, my can thoughts. I interrupt you? What do you think about uh, asking New York for his tax returns? Well, it's only going to give them the state tax returns on one thing, yeah, but, on one ground. Uh, you know, so that's going to give them something, but it's only going to give them the state. And it doesn't really justify the claim they've made that they need to use it for tax writing policy and for understanding the audit procedures of the FBI. Um, so I think it's a nice effort on the part of the New Yorkians, but as a practical matter, I don't think that that's going to satisfy um, Congressman Neal's demand. But isn't, don't some of the, aren't some of the federal records made part of the state records? Don't you right. give up some yeah. portion of that? Yeah, that, that is, it, you, you, you undoubtedly do, and, and of course we're more familiar with it in terms of personal income tax. Right. Um, but I'm not so sure on the corporate uh, side yeah. whether they're this, I'm sure that there are very, probably very similar schedules, and I can't really tell you that. I'm sure there'd be information. Undoubtedly there'd be information. Well, for example, Meg, all his, corp- yeah, well, all his fake corporations. Yeah. And the whole point is to, to see if he is subject to undue influence. And, you know, more and more comes out. His, his connections with the people in the uh, Mideast area. Oh, oh, and then one final thing. What did you think about his statement that he didn't want to go fight in Vietnam because he'd never heard of the place? Oh, what a... Oh, Jesus. And, now, now, and of course, I woefully do not have the ge- geographical knowledge of yeah. the Mideast that mm-hmm. I should. Mm-hmm. But is that what I, young men, can say? I, no. I've never heard of the place you're sending to me, so I'm not going to go. Right. But anyway, anyway, he just, he's, he's, he's a walking outrage. Yeah. Hey, it, I it just, just, can I just add my, my, my snarky outrage? Okay, yeah, please. so a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, there was an article in the New York Times about Hope Hicks and about this, you know, um, so Sophie's choice, if you will, about whether or not she was going to testify. Now, ordinarily, any female politician, they will have with their mouth gaping open or, you know, turkey neck, i.e. Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or whomever, 
But with Hope Hicks, they had this beautiful, beautiful picture, like something out of Vogue that they had a, of her. And it just pissed me off to no end. It was like her head was bowed down and she just was like looking off to onto the floor. I mean, flawless skin, the whole bit. It just made me crazy because that's not ordinarily what the Times does. It's bullshit, you know? So what the hell is that about, you know? I'm just saying. Mm. <laughs> 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 nothing so nothing. So next week, we look forward to, on June 11th, the vote on Barr and McGahn. It's where they're going to mm. be held in contempt I of Congress. Oh, and, uh, and then the hearings, there's going to be hearings that are going to open next week with John Dean. I'm keenly interested in what they're going to ask John Dean about. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that it's going to be, you know, what was the basis of the um, impeachment of uh, Richard Nixon, those yeah. articles. And, you know, identify not only the obstruction of justice, but his obstruction to Congress and kind of maybe bring it into the here and now. It's going to be very interesting next week. Well, and I was listening to um, the local public radio station, and they were interviewing Barbara Lee, who I think is from California, Democrat from California. Oh, yeah. She was, yeah. She was looking forward um, to uh, contempt, to one of these jamokes was going to be cited for contempt. And so then the, 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 the radio, um, uh, radio guy uh, said to her, uh, well, what happens after that? I mean, what's, 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 what, what's going to be the continuation on? And she had no idea. She had, all she did was like sort of tread water. And you think these people would have an answer or better yet have read the Mueller report so she could be able to cite these various things, you know? I don't know. It just seems like no one's read the goddamn report. And if they did, they'd be a whole lot better educated and know what, you know, 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 know what to say and how to say it or get their level of outrage up. Certainly. Well, when I when I see someone who is uh, generally a GOP commentator, yeah, I know they have not read the report because mm -hmm. if they had read the report, they would find some little nugget, yeah, that they could use. They'd say mm -hmm. on page two hundred eleven, on page forty eight, they never cite it. They haven't read it, and they don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. And, and let us just, you know, remember the essential message of the Mueller report, which is that there were multiple systematic right. efforts on the part of the Russian government to interfere in our election. Right. Exactly. And, and we and, all and have to be reading to it. it. And, and yes. isn't it true that it's going into other countries as well? I mean, isn't Oh, yes. China yes. and, you know, I mean, come, attacking, attacking, attacking. It's a scary, scary time, scary time. So, um, so let's wrap it up, gals. Um, unless you have anything else, I can go into our closing. Anything else you got to say, you want to say, you guys? Nope. Nope. I think we've spit it all out. Oh, good. Okay. So as discussed today, um, Trump's reckless and self-serving actions undermine the rule of law and our American way of life. And join us, fellows, on the Sisters of Resistance Trail and calling out the treacherous Trump administration. I'm going to have to change the ending. And when you see bullshit, what do we do, girls? We call, we call bullshit. 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 Thank you for being here, Fran and Meg. And my name is Reggie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will have something ready to go for you next week. Take care and have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Resist. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks.